it's already not enough. They really should qualify straight to the PC because they're hard yeah, and big. And also they are weird, right? Like if I win a Moto PTQ and qualify for an RC, mm-hmm. it's different than if someone in Europe wins it. Like if there's, right. it's just a different it's tournament. A, just a different tournament that you've qualified for and there are different values. And depending on where you are, you might have to pay for your tournament. Yeah, I think mostly no matter where you are, you have to pay for your tournament. I don't think legacy, I've seen anything with legacy where you have to pay for it, mm-hmm. but it would not shock me if that was the case. Have the, has DreamHack announced if you have to pay for it? You don't have to pay for it, but there is the whole thing with the badges. If you didn't win a in-store RCQ, you do have to pay for your badge, <laughs> which means anyone who won on Moto, anyone who got like an invitation gifted to them or whatever, all have to pay for badges. So qualifying on Moto is like strictly worse, even though it's much harder than winning a paper RCQ. It is strictly worse, yes, in every conceivable way. Uh, you want to hear about Collins's RCQ? <laughs> yes. Win. He did win. <laughs> yes, his seven person plus the judge RCQ. So the car was Collins, Chris, and Will. They get to the store, and there are four people there. Of which they are three. <laughs> Wait, so there was one other person there? There was one other person there. Great. Someone else shows up like right before, and then they're going to wait an hour for people in Greensboro. And the guy behind the counter is like, you know, yep, we're expecting to get probably 17 people. And he says this 20 minutes after the start time of the event, which, keep in mind, had been rescheduled last notice due to our hurricane. Which I I imagine that is part of the reason for some people not showing up who would have shown up otherwise is whenever you reschedule an event, you lose some amount of people. But yeah, like I, uh, I would have been able to get Leyline Bindings, which was the car that was holding me back, but I had plans on Sunday, so I just wasn't going. Uh, so the guys from Greensboro come up and it's just the, and now it's just seven people in the store. So the judge plays Collins plays against the judge round one. And the judge is like, yeah, I don't, I haven't played modern like ever. And then goes, all right, goblin guide attack you. And Collins is like, oh no. <laughs> yes. This that, is the one deck you just like. You, you just can lose. What's funny is that the judge keeps asking questions. The, apparently the deck he borrowed, the burn deck, wasn't in English or whatever. So he would lava spike Collins' creature and Collins is like, you can't do that. He's like, oh. Does this one go face? Uh, and it was Bor. Does this one go to your creature? And it was Boris Charm. He's like, oh no, <laughs> it's just so much damage you can't put at the wrong thing. <laughs> <laughs> and so the tournament just goes on. Uh, it's eight people total, so three rounds, then cut to top four. The top four ends up being our three heroes from the car and a blue white control player. Chris beats Will in the semis, I guess. And Collins beats the Bullet Control guy because the Bullet Control guy has like a sideboard from 2018. Cannot beat the card versus the Saga. (laughs) So Collins wins. And then Collins and Chris play in the finals. And they had already played prior in the tournament where Collins had won. Mm -hmm. Chris was playing Indomitable Creativity. And Chris wasn't winning that too. So they just get prize support in the form of the color boosters 
Everyone gets one color booster. Do you know what a color booster is? I don't even know what these are. You get them from Walmart. You see them at like big box retailers. Uh They're like nine bucks. (laughs) And it's one pack of like 30 cards that, you know, it's a good product for Walmart because someone will just like play magic casually be like, oh, this is all red cards. Mm -hmm. I will buy this one. I'm a red mage. So it's 30 cards. Yeah. All red, all red cards or artifacts. And there's one rare. It's like the worst thing you could possibly buy. Uh, And that was the price part. Everyone just got one. I mean, definitely one of the reasons that only seven people showed up for this tournament is that this was an RCQ with no prize support. It was $30 entry, as it turned out. Yep. I had heard a bunch of numbers, but it was $30 for no prize support. Though they did have a judge. That's good. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about the things that have led to these types of RCQs happening today. That's that's one of our topics of discussion. It's just it's just sad. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 263 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Caster-Rappel, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. I've got, you know, I'll just give a house update. I've got a bunch of final plank now in the bottom of my house. Ooh, but just like stacked up or I... It is currently stacked up because they're coming tomorrow. But, okay. Yeah. Well, we're getting there. It's only been yeah. like months now. It's been one month. Well, I okay. guess we're coming up on October now. So once we get to the middle of October, we're doing it. Okay, great. Well, good, good luck. I just, hope they get most of it done tomorrow. Just been a fun, great. I don't have a very big house, so it's likely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah but everything else has taken way longer than it should have. Yeah, I, the, I'm not a huge fan of the restoration company they i like the people fair enough but the the whole timeline thing they just don't get it (laughs) yeah well that's unfortunate but at least there's a light at the end of the tunnel now well shall we talk about some well no no how are you doing i can ask you fine i'm doing fine just fine come on let's really dig into this have our nice mental health opener (laughs) yeah i'm hanging out getting my exercise in i don't know the weather is is becoming much much better for getting outside and going for runs and working this out in true. my outdoor gym so i appreciate that that it's not like 90 plus degrees every day anymore i do enjoy how the 90 plus degree weather ended with mm-hmm. just a hurricane a hurricane to usher yeah. in fall weather yeah that's just how it happens one day it's uh, almost 100 degrees the other day there's a hurricane and then after that you're just in fall now yep <laughs> that's how it works <laughs> and here we are it's fall had a very pleasant time exercising and then doing some tree trimming in my backyard and uh, it was just nice to be outside and I deeply appreciate that. Nice. Yeah, I've been enjoying it too. But enough about us as human beings. Yeah, what about us as talking magic people? As magic playing robots? Yeah, yeah. So we've got some pioneer results to look over. I have continued to play more pioneer. I I'm just enjoying the format, man. I've played several different decks. I have had, you know, varying levels of success with different ones, but I have a couple that I am starting to like a lot, and I'll mention them as we go through the results. Sort of my uh, biased opinions, because there's certain decks that, like, 
I'm more likely to be able to win with. And so just keep that in mind is that I, uh, you know, I like the decks that suit my playstyle a little more, but I can definitely give some recommendations for what, what has seemed good and what has uh, seemed less great. And there are a couple of lists in these results that I want to talk about specifically because some really cool stuff showed up this weekend. Uh, there was a super qualifier and a qualifier and then a regular old challenge. And so I think people came out and really tried to work hard and, and do something for the super qualifier in particular. And we saw some some pretty cool things, including Lotus Field winning the tournament somehow. I, I mean, not somehow. Like, the deck is I very powerful. the deck does what it does. There still is a common sideboard. Good lord, someone please explain it to me. <laughs> But I still think the the deck just does what it does, and you hit your matchups, or you don't. And honestly, it doesn't hurt that mono green is like on a little bit of a downtick, mm -hmm. uh, because the whole card for damping sphere just is brutal. Yeah, the only way to get damping sphere into the game is if your opponent is a Karn deck, or else they they just aren't present in this format. Yeah, and and everywhere else, all the damping spheres are gone. Like no one has any hate for it. And, Rakdos is not particularly well suited to beating up on the the hidden string strike just because it top decks so well. Well, and you're also just not spending the slots in the Rakdos. Yeah, that's deck. what I mean. You don't have any cards, so the sideboard is just not there for a Lotus Field. So you're definitely going to lose to it, or you know, be reasonably disadvantaged against it right now when it's not that present in the metagame. Yeah, that that's that's cool yep. that it <laughs> won something. If you know why they're playing Zakama Preble Clarity, please reach out to me. I am dying to know. Well, <laughs> no one has see, been able to provide me yet of an explanation. You have Omniscience in play, and you cast Zakama, you double your mana. But but you have, but hold on. <laughs> you yeah. have Omniscience in play. I mean, but you double your mana. For, like, to do what with? I don't know. Activate Zakama? Yeah. I mean, I guess. <laughs> that's the only thing that Omniscience can't pay for is Zakama activations. <laughs> And flashback costs for earlier. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. It only casts spells from your hand. Right, yeah. Well, you'll probably figure out some way. Yeah, granted, once you have Lear and Omniscience in play, you know, <laughs> you, you're, you're good to go, usually. You'll, you'll probably be fine. You'll figure something <laughs> out. For the Super Qualifier, kind of the most surprising thing beyond Lotus Field winning the tournament is that Rakdos Midrange kind of didn't show up for the first time in a while. There were no copies in the top eight, three copies overall in the top 32. What did show up this weekend, only one copy in the top eight here, but two copies in each of the other two top eights this weekend, and then a couple more copies in top 32s. Uh, but Rakdos Sacrifice kind of took some of the Blood Crypt metagame share this weekend. The Rakdos space. Yes, yeah. the Rakdos space. Just kind of like looking at why this may be, you know, I, I posed a question on Twitter, like anybody have any ideas why like Rakdos Sacrifice showed up all of a sudden this weekend? Most of my answers were just like Rakdos Sacrifice is a good deck, which doesn't really answer the implied question of like, why is it showing up this weekend, but has not shown up in previous weekends. So I think that there are a couple of things going on here. You are reasonably advantaged in against the mid-range deck. Like you've always had a couple of percentage points in that matchup, but I think the placement of Shieldred in that deck in the Kalita slots makes that matchup like actively pretty bad for Rakdos mid-range. You just like 
aren't interacting with the the sacrifice deck properly and then any amount of bant spirits or other like aggro decks in the metagame mayhem devil just walks all over them so if those pop up a little bit more uh anytime the metagame balance shifts that way then racto sacrifice becomes a deck with a sort of similar metagame profile to racto's midrange but a little bit more tilted towards those aggressive decks and good in the mirror so then it becomes a pretty intelligent choice depending on where the meta has shifted do you think this is flash in the pan will rakdos regular midrange come back to reclaim its throne or is sacrifice kind of the the thing for right now the way i see it is like maybe like one day out of like the eight weekend days a month or something like that. Recto Sacrifice will be the one that you should have shown up to the tournament with. It is tough enough to predict when that that is going to be that you may just be better off playing Recto's midrange in all of them. But, you know, Sacrifice can be good. And when you see those aggro decks popping up and when you want to win the mirrors and when you're a little less concerned about mono green then i think sacrifice makes a lot of sense so if you really keep your eyes peeled and and try to like keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on then it can be a good choice it is a little harder to play though so you do need to have reps with it in order to bring it to a tournament and expect to win matches with it i mean you should have reps with any deck right that's from our last episode yeah but but like you can (laughs) sit down against like an aggro deck playing Rakdos and play be playing at like 90% or something like that. But the the sacrifice deck has a lot more lines and a lot more ways to like not get full value out of your cards if you mess it up. No, I, I get that. I just I know personally if I were to pick between mid-range and sacrifice blind, mm-hmm. I would absolutely put mid-range worse than sacrifice. <laughs> I mean, the mid-range version has had consistent success. Almost every single tournament that we've looked at is just really good. But it's not necessarily like an either-or proposition. It's not like only one of these decks can be successful at a time or anything like that. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think they're just both good decks. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the mid-range version is just going to generally be more what you would expect to play against. I don't think there's going to be mass adoptations of adoptions. Yeah. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of uh, of the sacrifice style, mostly because people are kind of like modern, they're just really locked into the pioneer deck they picked. A lot of the time, I find, like mm-hmm. whenever I look through these results, I just see the same people playing the same decks over and over and over again. Yeah, like we have Sandy Dog here with mono white, which is granted not mono red, but it's definitely his wheelhouse. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like to point out as well. Oh, maybe this is from the other tournament. We're kind of talking about them all here. But I want to point out from the other qualifier tournament, since we're just like on the topic of red decks, uh, Willie Edel's... I, I mean, this isn't a red deck. The Willie Edel's Gruel deck. <laughs> what a segue. Yeah, whatever. We're going there. We're getting there. <laughs> we're talking about this. I want to talk about this list because it's very creative. It's pretty brilliant. Kind of standard Gruel, Ember Cleave list, eight elves, and then a bunch of three drops and werewolf pack leader, scavenging ooze. Uh, the three drops include Lovestruck Beast and Bone Crusher Giant. So you have just like a lot of flexibility with where you're spending your mana and you can do a lot of stuff what however much mana you have at any given time and then you're a four ember Gleave deck also main decking two sky sovereigns which has been kind of a i think something that 
disincentivizes playing the mid-range deck a little bit because that like the reason to play Sky Sovereign is it's very good against Rakdos mid-range. And that's been popping up in more and more lists that can support it, including sometimes in the flex slots of the mono green decks. Uh, but the really clever thing about Edel's build of the Gruul deck here is the four collected companies in your sideboard. You just get to like cleanly swap your Ember Cleaves for collected companies when you want to grind harder rather than like punk somebody out or beat blockers. And uh, it's just really smart and really good deck building no i like this i i noticed the sky sovereign uptick especially in looking at the grease vein decks which kind of naturally would like to play that card anyway mm-hmm. like sky sovereign is quite a good card in especially in the, those grease vein decks but the four ember cleave finally we're doing the four actual four ember cleaves in our yes. pioneer decks that need to win with ember cleave a lot of the modern red decks were only just playing three even though it was the only way they could possibly win a game <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but this Gruul Dex is a lot better because you don't need to wholly rely on Embercleave. Like, you kind of skirted over some of the neat cards, like Reckless Stormseeker mm-hmm. is the, the werewolf three drop that gives you a lot of burst potential. Yep. Uh, and that works really well with the stuff you have in the main deck and in the sideboard, like your collected companies and your random planeswalkers. A kind of subtle thing here is the play pattern of elf into three drop means that, like, fatal push isn't always the best thing against you like they can kill your elf but then you get to play your two drop and they don't have a fatal push anymore or they can like hold their fatal push but then the three drop requires them to activate revolt which is usually something the rector's deck can do like on turn three or four you have to get a treasure or a blood or something in order to do it and so that like turn one elf threatening a scary three mana play kind of you know disrupts their natural way of using their removal spells on each turn against you and so pretty powerful set of cards here and i i I do just really like the deck building here yeah it's good i don't think it's a deck uh just anyone could pull off really either (laughs) (laughs) like it, it it seems simple but the margins are very slim on a deck like this that doesn't have a bunch of that's why we've got four amber cleaves in it because you gotta kill them yep and I mean, there's a lot of good targets for these Ember Cleaves with a couple of Kazandu Mammoths in addition to the Lovestruck Beats, the Bonecrusher Giants, Werewolf Pack Leader. Like, you can just, there's a lot of high power creatures. So it's sometimes with the, the red deck, you're like putting your Ember Cleave on a two power creature, getting in six damage, and that's not, but. My know. favorite is Rollness. I know. The, the, the <laughs> trample Double Strike. Oh, yeah. Let's go. Yeah. A little Questing Beast style Death Touch interaction. Yeah, exactly. Ronus doesn't have reach, though. <laughs> and who knows what abilities <laughs> Questing Beast has. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do, clearly, but... Yes, not not reach for anyone confused about that. Mono Green did consistently well this weekend, as always. Uh, one in the top eight of the Super Qualifier, but seven more copies in the top 32, two in the top eight of the Qualifier, and then three in the top eight of the Challenge. It is good. It stays good. Choosing this or Rakdos midrange for any given tournament is likely to be completely fine to excellent. We've seen more Sky Sovereigns pop up to help in the Rakdos matchup. Other than that, not seeing anything crazy from these mono green decks. It's just all normal stuff. 
Yeah. Uh, it's really easy to tell, too, because the sideboard almost never changes. <laughs> you don't sideboard with this deck. It's just a full-on Karn sideboard. Yeah, occasionally you'll see, like, portable hole in the sideboard, and that's also for Karn, so... Yes, sometimes there's, like, two copies, so you can bring one in. The deck only really changes when something like Heroic gets a foothold in the metagame, and then you play yeah, some number Yeah, then you just of... play a different color. Yeah, usually <laughs> you play a different color, but... Uh, Bant Spirits, put a copy into each of these top eights, as it just seems to always do. Again, I do think that this deck is totally fine. I have no problem playing it into basically any meta, except for exactly the meta that we seem to have stumbled into, which is a fair bit of Rakdos Sacrifice succeeding. Yeah. yeah, and as long as that's happening, then I'm not super interested in Bant Spirits, because a Resolve Mayhem Devil beats you, and you can't ever win. So that's the only time where I would say, yeah, that even if you like this deck and, and are practiced with it, it's probably not a great choice. But it has seemed consistently fine. And uh, playing against it, I have been impressed with it. So Grease Fang picked up its first win in the challenge this weekend. I am still a little unconvinced overall by Grease Fang. I think it is fine. I think that, you know, you can spike some wins. I think it has some serious problems with Karn the Great Creator that, you know, I've seen suggestions of like Fracture to help resolve it. I know Tear Asunder is a sideboard card that a, a number of these lists are playing, but it's really like Karn is two hate pieces against you. And every time Karn is two hate pieces against you, it's really tough to beat with a linear deck. Especially where you don't really have a good backup plan. Yeah. Like once Karn's in play and you can't get your activate your artifacts... You, your backup plan of attacking with vehicles just doesn't work anymore. No, it, it doesn't. So I, I don't really know what the fix is there except for hold out for a weekend where you don't think there's as much mono green and you don't think you'll be playing against very many Karns. Other than that, I just like really struggle to... I just really struggle to convince myself that Grease Fang is a choice that I want for a tournament that I am trying to win. I don't, I don't mind Grease Fang as much against mono green because it does line up well against non-karn early mm -hmm. draws uh which is uh, like a a pretty fair portion of, of games mm -hmm. uh, and they don't get to sideboard which is nice and you do <laughs> so yeah. as long as you can figure out a configuration that you is passable that you like against monogreen i think reasoning's a fine choice yeah i mean but that's just like one of your problems right like uh, yeah i mean one know, of the other problems hearse being in play is like pretty bad fortunately for the deck like is it has been just generally pushed out but any deck that is that wants to hold up instant speed removal and can benefit from it is just basically impossible realistically those decks don't really exist like blue white control isn't that good is it is not that good so yeah i mean probably there are some decent spots to be playing this deck i just have run into problems with it and also i think the mana bases are misbuilt and nobody's fixing them I was about to bring up that point. Even in this first place list, uh, the mana base just looks cobbled together. The <laughs> like, nine white sources is nearly as many pathways as these decks play. Like yeah. you, you really need a heavy density of colored mana in these decks, and playing pathways robs yourself of the ability to like have a good mana base. A lot of the games that you play in this deck. I agree with that. I also think just the raw counts are not quite there. I keep seeing lists with nine white sources. And while that can be okay, because, you know, like the decks are built 
acknowledging like, okay, I want to cast Grizzly Salvage or Seder Wayfinder on turn two, and that's like what I'm going to be doing here. But there are some games where you want to cast Rafine's Informant on turn two, and a lot of times like this mana base doesn't really support that. And I think you can lean a little bit more towards it. Uh, at least like take the Takanuma out, because I don't think that you ever really channel that, and it's just not only is it a a black source only it's also one that you can't get when you get field of ruined and uh field of ruin is popping up a little bit more in this metagame so i just don't think takanuma makes any sense play either a basic or a a duel that has white in it and up your white count a little bit yeah i could see that i guess it's theoretically a way to rebuild a little bit but it doesn't even do that particularly well with all the like can't stay aways and stuff and just the way that you chain grizzly salvage into action and stuff uh the deck doesn't really run out of just like stuff to do in that way that often sometimes you do when you're just like getting pummeled and the game is over but like i've played a couple of leagues with it and i've never felt like boy i'm so glad i have this takanuma in my deck because i'm getting flooded so bad here yeah yeah i can buy that i i just generally think people should be making more changes to these mana bases i like i don't blame people for you know if they start winning with a deck you just don't change your mana base i get it but sure there is frequently i think that's where the most work could be done yeah one other deck that i want to talk about that is kind of like in the early stages of its development right now but i it's really exciting to me is uh kellen pastor's boros oh. mid-range deck i think this deck's just really really good it's a little hard to describe exactly what it is, but it's basically a bunch of value twos, threes, and fours. You've got like Rafine's Informant and Charming Princes, a full set of extraction specialists, and you're really just trying to like cast creatures, kind of trade them off, use extraction specialists. Extraction specialists bringing back Charming Prince and blinking it and getting back another two drop, and also now your Charming Prince can attack and block is really good. Uh, you are a Yorion deck, so you have access to these like Yorion Charming Prince end games that really like outvalue everybody. Uh, you have access to Elspeth Conquers Death. There's a Karn version and a non-Karn version, which I think both are defensible depending on what you're expecting to play against. Just the the way that this deck grinds and also the quality of the removal spells because, you know, you're splashing red for Fable of the Mirror Breaker and you also get Chain to the Rocks, which is kind of the best removal spell in the format when you're not trying to deal with, like, exactly Grease Fang. I've been playing this deck some and I am really, really impressed with it. Yeah, and ca calling it Boros is a little bit of a misnomer. It's really just a, a mono-white deck with Fable and Chain to the Rocks. <laughs> yes, yeah. It's, it's just death and taxes. That's how I would best describe it. It's just a pile of white value creatures, and you're just valuing over and over and over again. You don't have the taxes part. Yeah, there's but no taxes, but lots of death. Like, you want your creatures to lots die of death. so you can get them back with Extraction Specialist, and you kind of, like, keep making land drops so then you can cast Sarah Paragon and cast Fable or Extraction Specialist from your graveyard. Field of Ruin is very good in this deck. Any of the three color decks you play against in this format have super greedy mana bases. So the fact that you can just play like a set of Field of Ruins here, and I have strip mined a couple of people with Field of Ruins, um, <laughs> and I've also just killed Manlands with them a lot because the Manlands in this format are really good and really important, and having Field for them is is and it costs a nice. lot of mana to activate too. Yeah. So. If your opponent sees you have a field run in play, they're going to be really hesitant before just firing up a mainland. Yep. 
So this deck has a lot going for it. It also has a lot of room for improvement, I think. There's just like different ways you can go with a lot of this stuff. But I have been just generally impressed. The, the red and white value cards and removal spells are just really, really good. And like they've been printing just a stack of them in recent sets and you just kind of put them all together here and they are, it is a good deck. And if you are looking for this deck list specifically, just to like check it out, uh, it's Kelmaster P is what Kellen's username is, and he got 16th in the the regular qualifier that happened on the first. Yeah, and check his Twitter for more updated lists. He has like a no Karn yeah, list. The odd engineer, I think. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's it's a really cool deck. It's also I know a lot of people who are disillusioned with Pioneer have been really enjoying playing his deck mm -hmm. uh, because it kind of reminds them of the. Uh, old Helion deck, but you ditch the combo and just play all value. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really plays a lot like that mono-white devotion deck just without the combo in it. And your cards are really good. Uh, do we want to talk about Gruel Legends before we move off Pioneer? Like Not a bard really. class deck? <laughs> it just showed up. Um, I'm expecting it to take the format by storm. It went 9-0 and in the Swiss. <laughs> That's really impressive. I, I mean, props to... Sahakvik. Props to Sahakvik for pulling this one off. I mean, the legends just like yes, they're generally like kind of aggressive, but they don't have like any real synergies with each other except for that they work with Bard Glass. So I don't, I don't know about this one. Yeah, I, I get it, but it's sweet and Box Amber is cool and mm -hmm. yeah, that's it. Yep, I'm down. I'll take it for a spin. But I'm no, currently... you don't have to. It's I don't think it's a real contender. It's just so sweet. It's very sweet. It can do a powerful thing, which is why I think you can do well with it. Like Bard class, landing a Bard class and then leveling it on two and playing a creature or two is mm -hmm. really good. But yeah. Ideally two. Does... I think that's where most of your wins come from, right? As you level this yeah, up two and you play like two or three spells that turn. And if you have a Mox Amber, you can go crazier, right? Yeah. Like if especially if one of your cards is a planeswalker. Because you can play Domri for two mana and then put out another card with the Domri mana. <laughs> yes. Domri for, Domri for, for one mana brain. and then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Or oh, yeah, that, that Domri. Yeah, yeah. You've got multiple There's two, mana two different types Domri's of Domri's, which here. both generate mana. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. So, yes, clearly access to some crazy draws. Not confident that this one has lakes going forward. But if it starts yeah, showing but... up more, then we'll give it another look. And honestly, if you think it's cool, play it. Yeah, for sure. Who's going to stop you? It's Not sweet. me. There are so few decks in Pioneer that you can say are doing something like really cool. And I think this is one of them. Yep. And it has no cards that are worth anything on Magic Online. So, you know, if you're not like a rental service person, you can just not get the Bozeju. And then this is like an 80 ticket deck or something like that. So real easy. Anything else from Pioneer? That's all the stuff I've been noticing. The The thing that is standing out to me the most is the Boros deck. I queued it up and just like immediately won four matches in a row, like very easily. None of them felt particularly close, and I still need to finish that league. But I've also seen some people playing it, and it just looks good, and uh, I'm excited to work on it more. What have you played other than that deck? Because you said you'd played a few things and you liked them. I mean, I've played a fair bit of Rakdos midrange, and it's good. Like, it's really strong. Like, one of the reasons that I like the Boros deck is that when my opponent plays Blood Crypt against me on turn one, then I'm happy about it. 
And I think that's a really good, that's where you want to be in this format is I'm playing against Rectos and that's fantastic. Played against Rectos a couple of times and it felt good. So that was a good sign for that deck, but Rectos is very good. I'm comfortable playing it. It's super strong. Grease Fang, I'm okay with. Like, I don't mind playing it. I've played a couple of leagues and it's been exactly fine. It's been like a, you know, a 3-2 deck every every league, basically very consistently 3-2 deck. So I want to talk about the mono white deck again, or the Boris deck, as you've been calling it. Oh, yeah. Uh, just again, because it's cool. Uh, one thing I think Kellen did really well is I think this is just a natural successor to like the Niv-Mizzet style of deck we saw last week. Because yeah. Claudio did really well when the format was dominated by Rakdos midrange by just going more midrange on them by playing Niv-Mizzet. And I think this deck does the same thing, but mm-hmm. with a lot more game against other stuff. Yeah. And a better mana base and exactly, generally yeah. higher power level cards. Yeah, and I, I think it's super smart. Yep. I don't know. They probably came to that conclusion not even consciously. <laughs> yes. Good deck. Uh, give it a shot. All right. Well, shall we move on to our main topic or topic two or whatever? The topic two, the main topic. I mean, you know, we have our intro topic and then we have our main topic. What's our main topic going to be about? So I wanted to, now that we have our first RCQ season behind us, I wanted to talk about our impressions from that, how we feel about how things played out. Uh, You know, we don't have the whole picture because we haven't had a regional championship yet. That's not for another several weeks. But we do have our experience playing RCQs and how they've felt. So I want to talk about RCQ season one and also kind of like magic competitive tournaments generally because we've had a little bit of stuff going on there and i'm thinking particularly about the legacy pit thing where it turned out that rather than being a 20k and a 5k as advertised they were scaling prizes based on attendance and not only up but also down if they didn't hit the expected attendance so they didn't uh, award as many prizes as some of the players may have expected them to award. So kind of want to talk about all of these like tournament things going on uh, at the same time. Uh, But focus is primarily on what's going on with RCQs. How did it feel? What would we like to see in the future to help improve upon the RCQing experience? Sure. Well, let's, let's get the legacy pit stuff out of the way first, because I think that's kind of separate than the RCQ business. A little bit. I think there's a little overlap in like, in particular, one of the solutions that I would like to see that we're not going to get out of Wizards of the Coast. Okay, let's start um, there. Like, what what do you think? So I, I think that it is not great to advertise a tournament that way, whether intentionally or unintentionally. I think it's deceptive to call something a 20k or a 5k and not have that be the minimum prize payout. I think players expect for a 20k to award 20k in prizes. I am sympathetic to how difficult it is to run a magic tournament and how expensive it is and how when you don't get the expected attendance, you you have a big gap to make up. And like running magic tournaments is hard and really expensive. Getting floor space and judging staff and getting the tournament going, it's a pretty significant expense and It is tough for a tournament organizer. However, I think that you need to be much more clear when advertising your event so players don't come expecting a certain amount of prizes that actually aren't showing up. 
So that's that's my you know basic kind of like lukewarm take on the whole thing. Yeah, I mean they also had coverage, right? Which is another mm-hmm. added expense. Which we want, like we want yeah, coverage of these great. events. My general kind of I don't even know what to call it about like running tournament as a tournament organizer. I think you're going to take a loss on every single event you run. And that's just the end of it. Like Mm -hmm. the costs are so prohibitive, especially if you don't have, like if you have to rent out a venue, uh, you're just going to run the tournament at a loss. Even if you can cut back on costs other ways, the Mm -hmm. reason star city managed it for so long was that they, there was a place for them to get buy and sell cards for their their shop which was very successful so yeah. they ran those tournaments at a loss to promote themselves and you travel all over the, the east coast mostly to just buy and sell cards mm-hmm. and channel fireball could do it with the gps because watsi paid them to yes uh, if if you don't recall uh when the pandemic hit and the gp stopped working channel fireball events just went bankrupt like they they don't exist anymore yeah <laughs> uh, hosting tournaments is something you're almost always going to do for a loss and you just kind of accept that when you do it and you just do it for love i think unless or a, you know, a loss leader system. for another yeah a loss leader for something else. but i don't think enterprise. that's what legacy was pit was trying to do well because they didn't and, even rent out you know they only had one vendor that they didn't like have multiple vendors paying for a space or anything which i think probably was a big mistake and and probably one of the reasons that they weren't able to make the the books even out yeah so it's going to be a labor of love which is fine but you need to be transparent about that if you promise a certain amount like the main take which was championed by ross i believe i saw his thread about it he had a few things to say about the weekend but on their website they only advertised 20k and the 5k Mm -hmm. right uh, there was no asterisk or anything saying it was based on attendance and you can sign up through their website now in mtg melee when you signed up for the tournament it did have a thing in within the tournament description that no one ever reads because it's mtg melee you just click a button to pay your fee and like be signed up for the tournament but it did say on the mtg melee description that it did scale based on attendance but just no one read it and that has to be way more apparent when you are attracting a crowd like this it's it's really just like the s- software terms and conditions that nobody reads. Like nobody would ever see that, and uh, I I don't think it's fair to expect players to. And it's reasonable for people to have been disappointed. It is really difficult to run tournaments and break even. And part of the reason is just the gap between like what you can reasonably charge as an entry fee for a Magic tournament, and then the amount of prizes that you want to have, and then. The expenses of running the tournament, stuff like poker tournaments can get away with it, even though they have similar expenses, because that culture allows them to have huge entry fees. So then the rake that's made up of like staffing and getting space for the tournament is much lower as a percentage of the total entry fees taken in with a magic tournament where you don't really want to charge more than like 50 bucks for an entry fee or 70 or 80 even, you know, the margins are are really tough to make work. One thing I will mention that Legacy Pet did incredibly well with in terms of prize support is that they paid not based on record, but based on match points. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a little weird because they didn't get to uh, the amount they expected so that the 
the places where they set their match point cutoffs were informed by these caps they expected to hit and didn't Mm -hmm. but the general idea of paying out everyone based on their match match points points instead of their place in the tournament right is way better i think so i I do want to give them props to something i think they did really well even if you know other aspects of the weekend didn't quite come together yeah I, i i like that one of my least favorite things in like opens and stuff was at the end of the tournament where you're not live for top eight and you're like trying to figure out if you can like draw into top 32 i just don't want to deal with that so i yeah, I'm, it's garbage i'm much more interested in like like i do love payouts based on your record the kind of like segue the only thing really bridging this to the rcq stuff is that tournaments at every level whether it is a large cash open or it's a an rcq Tournaments at every level have this in common, that the expense of running a Magic tournament versus what you can actually get in via entry fees, that is a really tough equation to make balance out. And I really wish that Watsi would figure out some way of helping to balance that equation out with like promos of some sort, the way that Flesh and Blood does. I just think it's such an, a, a perfect solution to have these special valuable promos that just create value that tos can give out and um actually the the promos that were announced today for like the next rcq season and stuff that they, they do look pretty good and looks like it's kind of doing that a little bit but i wish they'd get a little fancier even than like just picking out good cards with with cool arts like the whole like you get a sealed pack with a random gold foil for winning a a flesh and blood tournament is like so neat and i wish there were an analog for magic tournaments yeah it's it's really good maybe we could i don't know we're jumping around now i don't know i'm adrift i i I just like i think that it's really really tough to fix the mismatch between what players want to get out of a magic tournament and what they want to pay in entry fees i think that is just so difficult to to fix yeah, so it needs to be fixed by some other non-monetary means. Exactly. Like a promo. Yeah, okay, I get you. I and get this you. is one that's one of the only things that I can visualize as helping to to fix that mismatch. So I think it's a really good one. Like we you mentioned flesh and blood does it. It's kind of the thing that makes flesh and blood tournaments good because uh LSS is the company that runs flesh and blood and they kind of operate like early Watsi, where they're pouring money into OP to you know make it happen to mm-hmm. advertise the game and all that stuff. But they're a small company they're in New Zealand of all places. Yeah. And going getting anything from New Zealand to anywhere in the world is incredibly expensive. <laughs> so they just print promos that are really desirable that they will not print in other circumstances. And that's the prize. Yeah. <laughs> and they're always like chase cards or heroes. Heroes are just like the base unit of the game. It's like your commander, essentially. Mm. They're free. They're in all the packs. You can get one for like a cent. But right. But then the, the promo versions the are really expensive. Prestige version is hundreds of dollars, right? Yeah, exactly. So I wish Watsi would do take that kind of approach because promos are super easy to print. You mentioned the the new ones. Uh now that is mystical Disp- and these are all new art full framed they're like full art kind of like looking like secret lairish yeah uh it's mystical dispute as a participation prize for an rcq uh these are all non-foil the thing in the ice is for top eight and when you go to the rc 
this is for season three, so I don't even know where it is. I don't think the article mentioned it, or the it was wasn't even an article; it was a stream, so they definitely didn't mention it. Yeah. Or uh, whatever, wherever RC three is, when you show up to that, you'll get a Snapcaster mage, and they're all new art, all full art. It's a step in the right direction. Like the, I still think the Nykthos promo was the best one, to be mm-hmm. honest, because it was new art and a chase card for the format that the first RC was in. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas <laughs> Snapcaster Mage is the participation promo for showing up. Oh, by the way, the participation promo showing up at this RC is Teferi Hero, Teferi Hero of Dominaria, which I didn't even realize. It's just like, it looks like a normal one you pull out of Dominaria pack. See, yeah, just... and that's just such a missed opportunity for creating value and also just like giving something nice to your players. Just commission, spend, a, you know, a couple thousand dollars on a new art and print your promos with new art. And that's like good enough that it becomes a desirable thing. Yeah, and, and I would even amp up local play a lot more than participation at the rc's personally sure. but sure. Y- you do whatever you want it's it's good either way to just amp it up and make people feel excited why would you ever give away any promo that has the same art as the basic version of the card it's just such now a why don't mis- you ask my friend lava spike an insane participation promo just the same card as the last printing of lava spike i just threw them in my box with my other lava spikes because that's all they are it's just I don't, I don't know just what a weird thing to do so my problem with cards like thing in the ice and snapcaster mage being the promos mm-hmm. uh, especially thing in the ice was a top eight promo so depending on the size and scale of your rc q can be harder easier to get sure uh it's not an expensive card or a chase card it's just a card you have and you know it's not even that like played right now it, like you can see some play in pioneer but that's kind of it mm-hmm. uh, the art is cool i do like the art but i don't think that's enough I, I know that's not enough to carry a promo in mm-hmm. magic the gathering because there's so many expensive versions of cards and i just think if you want people to really be jazzed about going to your events and have the stores who are purchasing these promos from the tournament organizers that are in charge of distributing them they should be cards that people like are actively seeking out. And I think Nicholas was a good example. It was like a $40 card when it first got a promo. Yeah. And you could just, you know, have it be whatever. This is standard season. Just make it Liliana on the veil, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it's just, yeah, that's a, a great idea. You know, I I think ideally I would love to have some sort of like randomized so you don't always know exactly what you're getting and i think that would be perfect for the winner i think top eight should be constant okay and the winner of the instead of getting a foil version of the card Mm -hmm. you can just get a special version of a set of really cool promos sure yeah and then that just adds to the prize pool and that gets rid of some of the problem that you know one of the reasons that this tournament that collins won this weekend was seven people plus the judge playing in the tournament like one of the reasons is there was no prize support for this tournament it was a 30 dollars entry fee with no prize support past the promos and then the promos for this go round are not desirable you know Raven inspector and selfless spirit Woo. yeah it, it's just like there's no incentive there and so nobody's going to show up when there's no actual prizes in the tournament and no promo prizes worth talking about for the tournament uh, and I think that is a, a pretty easy fix if 
Watsy just wants to put somebody on it who can who has these goals in mind. Yeah, I mean, if they're going to just kind of hands off the entire system like this, mm-hmm. they should put at least a little bit of work in making the things they're giving out desirable. And yeah. they, I, I know they know how to do it. They just had a whole stream about all different kinds of versions of different cards they're doing for Magic 30. So why can't they just apply this to the RCQs? Yeah, it's it's definitely, you know, just something that we would like to see. That's that's all. So I, I do want to call out just like some of the stuff that has been disappointing about the RCQs. I mean, overall, like the system from a bird's eye view, the way that it works, it should be good. Conceptually, I still like a lot of it. There just have been some letdowns in implementation and, and specific things. And just noting some of this stuff is like, you know, the inconsistency of sizing and like quality of events, uh, both among paper tournaments where you might play like a 70 person RCQ, 10 person RCQ at a store in a smaller town uh, the next day. And also like just the gap between the paper tournaments and the magic online tournaments is like really, really off. The freedom given to the regional organizers to do things the way that they want and often in ways that, I mean, just straight up kind of suck. Uh, the amount that some of these organizers are charging stores to run tournaments and the stores aren't getting anything out of it when they pay in Europe hundreds of dollars to run an RCQ and they get shipped a package, which is just a stack of these promos that uh, are not always even good promos. Which again, for season one, was it was a bunch of lava spikes and then those Nick Thoses. Uh, so charging heavily the store owners for running tournaments is really not great. And also charging players to play in regionals, which nobody was expecting to do. So it was a big surprise. Because that's not how regional PTQs worked, which is the previous system that kind of has like a close analog. You play in some local stores, then you go to a slightly larger yeah. tournament. You didn't have to pay for that or the um, regional qualifier. I don't even know what it's called at this R- point. Because yeah, it, the RPTQ. Yeah, RPTQ, thank you. Because it was just baked into how the system worked. And they actually did the promo thing pretty well with the RPTQs, right? I have multiple regional PTQ promos in my binder that are still worth over $100 a piece. And yeah, there was an Emrakul one time. And then yeah. I think a Snapcaster Mage again, but it was 2018, so Snapcaster Mage was still played. <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's just the Emrakul that's in my binder that's worth over $100 now. But, you know, they they did a pretty good job with the promos then. It would be nice to see them apply it to now. Also, just the, again, the, like, hands-off approach where they they don't require judges for RCQs causes its own level of problems. I don't know if they even can feel like they can require judges anymore since they've, like, released the judging program to be this totally independent thing. I, I don't know what the deal is there, and I honestly don't really care about the logistics or what they feel they can and can't do. Uh, An RCQ without a judge is just like a disaster waiting to happen. Especially because it's like the person you go to and something suspicious is going on, right? Like, yeah, if you think your opponent's cheating, you're not just going to like be like, hey, person who administrates this tournament. I think my opponent's cheating because what are they going to do? Like, they don't know. It requires like training and knowledge to deal with that situation. And then there's just like a very like variable level of excitement or buzz around these tournaments and sometimes the buzz is so low that you get 
seven people at an RCQ. And yeah, that's I mean, bad. Some of, some of that for us was hurricane fueled, right? We did have a hurricane. It's true. Yeah, definitely. But, but I, I do also know that I did play in a tournament while a hurricane was ongoing and it had 60 people <laughs> in it, you know, like four <laughs> years ago. So, yep. right. Yeah. yeah. If, if players want to play, if you if you make your players want to play, then they will make it happen. And for what it's worth, I do think the base of the system is good. Like playing in local stores to qualify for your larger event is a good system. Mm-hmm. It it just is. It lets local stores get some business. It the players want to play at stores that are local to them. That's just true across the place like if they have a good local store they go to they will want to play in a tournament there 100 both support the store that they like and just they want a good tournament they want that store to improve and be better right yeah because that's where they play it's great i want to play at you know atomic empire and gamers geekery because they're here it's convenient and i like those stores yeah and that's true for all across the country all across the world players local stores so that that's a it's a good system that feeds into I really like the, I know a regional championship hasn't happened yet, but I like a large regional championship that happens in like per region mm-hmm. instead of the smaller RCQs that happen like, you know, a few in a state every now and then mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Just having a larger tournament that's basically like a GP is a good thing that feeds into the perk story. That's perfect. Love it. No yep. notes. <laughs> the problem is the whole administration of it all. Like mm-hmm. the regional TOs having basically unlimited, as far as I can tell, discretion. <laughs> it seems like it, yeah. I, I haven't heard any rules about what they can or can't do. And it seems like everyone just does random, like their own thing. Yeah, they they like have complete domain over like how you qualify for regionals and, and like how regionals is run and how many regionals there are. You know, Canada just has two well, I think Watsi decides how many there are, and Canada was decided to have two. And oh, really? Yeah, because that was in their initial article. Okay. And then, you know, like the whole of Europe, Africa, and Middle East get one. They just have one. Yeah, but I mean, like, Canada is one region. I, I thought that was determined by face-to-face, but I, I could be wrong. I, I believe that particular part of it was, like, Watsi determined how many slots there were for regionals per region yeah it, it determined how many slots there were but i think face-to-face determined like okay we're gonna allocate half of our slots to this tournament and half of our slots to this oh tournament. that is odd i didn't realize if that's the case now i've been thrown off my main point and i don't know i don't remember what i was talking about well, but but <laughs> yes uh it is it is strange that the regional tournament organizers have control over how much individual stores pay how people qualify for the tournaments like assigning the rcqs and stuff like they just like have complete control with no oversight from watsi or you know there doesn't seem to be an and, administrative side of watsi handling this at all and the regional championship itself has wildly varying prices and expectations mm-hmm uh, I haven't heard how much what Legacy, which is the organizer in Europe, I haven't heard what they're doing for their thing. Uh, but I know Canada just decided to charge people like almost $100 uh, Canadian to just play in the regional championship they've already qualified for. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, again, they the stores were paying them to host RCQs. So they don't really 
need that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. They could charge I, whatever I they wanted for these pit kits and did. So then they're going around and charging more. It just seems extreme. And then, whereas, you know, DreamHack in America, that's the organizer for the America, they have this weird thing where. So it's a DreamHack tournament. It's a bunch of different games. Magic is just one of them. If you qualified via an in-store qualifier, like an RCQ, you don't have to get a badge to enter the building or play. You'll just you have it, you know? And you can just walk up to the people, say you want an in-person RCQ, they'll look you up, they'll give you a badge, and you just play your tournament. That's fine. But if you live in America and want an RCQ on Magic Online you will have to purchase a badge for at least $80 before you can get into the convention center. Sorry you had to qualify in Magic Online. It's just worse for some and it, reason. And I don't know why there's a difference between these two things, but there are. And there's been a lot of pushback from people who have won through not local RCQs being like, why do I have to pay more for this? It doesn't make any sense. And there's just crickets because DreamHack has the final say. And, and the organizer in Brazil is charging what equates to half a month's rent in Brazil yeah. for the RC. No, the Brazil, yeah, the Brazil RC is incredible. I don't, I don't understand that at all. And there's no information, obviously, coming out of Watsi saying like, "Oh, we didn't anticipate this, and we don't want it to be like this." It just seems like, okay, this is how the system is supposed to work. They have ultimate dominion over how this tournament is run and can charge players whatever and can announce after the fact after players after stores have paid money to have the tournaments and run them players have played in them and qualified and you know gone around investing in playing in these tournaments and then it turns out okay yeah also it's an extra you know a hundred dollars to play in this tournament well like i have to pay that now but that sucks yeah it's i so the, the very first thing I would do if I would try to improve the system would be to standardize that sort of thing across regions. Like there's no reason all of these things should be just like completely all determined by that one regional organizer in every region and a different way every time. It's just, it doesn't make sense. Like if you're trying to have an actual global OP that all feeds into a pro tour and worlds, which are all global. Uh, right. Maybe... It just doesn't feel cohesive. It, it's just very piecemeal. I know that there is some debate about, okay, so first of all, Magic Online RCQs should just qualify you for yes. the Pro Tour. <laughs> 100%. Like, they should just be PTQs. Uh, qualifying you for the RC to not get into the Pro Tour, whereas oftentimes a Magic Online RCQ is going to be like 11 times harder <laughs> than most tournaments just period like the legacy pit 5k modern is a softer field than any format rcq on magic online oh for sure and that's a five thousand dollar tournament that the legacy pit just hosted yep and there's some debate about you know why are there you know regions that not regions some stores have very large rcqs and they're worth equally amount of slots as you know small rural towns that don't have that many i think that's mostly unavoidable i think that's just always going to be the case and i don't think you should try to control for it too much because like if people qualify in small rural areas 
and they go to the tournament, it, you know, good for them. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. they get more involved in the game, you know? It's not mm-hmm. a bad thing that someone had to work harder. And if anything, it gives people more opportunities to go to those rural areas and play in more events. Whereas just mm-hmm. all centralizing them in city areas does alienate people who aren't willing to travel that far. Yeah, I have no problem with every store having an RCQ each season, even if it means there are small tournament. Like, I I don't, just don't care. Like, it's fine. If you want a small RCQ and you're at the tournament, like, you, you belong here, and I don't have any problem with it. And if you don't, you know, if you just lose a bunch because you're not quite prepared for the RC, that's okay, too. what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to happen with anyone who wins in a city RC, too. Like, sometimes you're just not ready for the larger stage, and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. I just had some things that I want to do, you know, that I would implement here after seeing this, like, how this RCQ season played out. I mean, I think the biggest one is, like, more direct control exerted over the regional organizers on how they run this make it a more cohesive system make it make more sense if stores have to be charged to run rcqs like give a a reason for that and make the amount that they have to be charged like make sense given the region like help us understand what that money is going towards so it doesn't just look like stores are being exploited by these regional organizers. So just generally more control over the organizers. I, I think it's like just so silly to have contracted this out and leave them to their own devices and run it however they want. I think that's a bad plan for your or your cohesive organized play system. Yeah, it's it's also just a bad plan in general, right? Like going over to Legacy and being like, all right, you're in charge of all of Europe and Africa and the Middle East. And the Middle East. <laughs> That's it. Those are your directions. Good luck. Go off. Yep. <laughs> There's no one else who is going to stop you. So do whatever you need to. Yes. Kind of shocking. I would also implement format-based seasons. Maybe this is experimental, but I just remember format based ptq seasons and how it was just like we're all working on extended now this is a long time ago extended block constructed whatever but having having the whole community like focused on a format like helps that format develop over time it creates like this sense of cohesion and like competitive community uh including online i think it would be fun to be on twitter and everybody is playing pioneer or modern or even standard like this can be a way to actually get people to play standard if i know i can invest in some standard cards and use them over the course of a season then yeah i'll go to every standard rcq that i can get to so i would love to see format based seasons come back i don't think we're going to because you know we want to give stores control over the types of tournaments they're running but i would love to have that and i think it would help generate hype and just like a sense of community and cohesion so one i want to say one thing about that because yeah i agree with you to a point and then i want to caveat off of it so i think format based seasons are really 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 good for everything all the reasons you stated except for the stores that aren't sure about attendance levels you're kind of relying Mm -hmm. on a competitive community rather than you know we're gonna hold a modern rcq because everyone around here plays modern and we'll get these people guaranteed you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i do think it's still useful to standardize a season with one exception i think every season stores should have the option to either run the constructed format or a limited tournament 
Like I don't, sure. I don't think limited, limited should be its own season necessarily. It should just always be an option. Yeah, that uh, makes sense to me. There's a store in Toronto called Harry Tarantula mm-hmm. that they wanted to hold a modern RCQ, but a lot of people just ask them for a limited one, and they weren't sure how many people would show up for it because you know limited tournaments don't particularly do that well most of the time in comparison to something like modern. But they took a chance and they said, "All right, people, if you want to, if you want us to ever hold a limited tournament again, you better show, show up." To this. And they did it. They they like packed the house with a bunch of just limited players, and it was good. And I would yeah. like more people to more stores to find opportunities like that. Where, all right, yeah, the standard se- the season is standard, and we know that might not be some people's thing. So, do y'all want to do a limited format? And you just ask the people around you. Mm-hmm. All right, we're just doing limited this season then. And then you hold a limited tournament. Yeah. Yeah. I would also kind of along those same lines and like creating a cohesive season. I would, however, you have to do this mandate applications by a certain time or whatever, but have all of the tournaments, have all of the RCQs scheduled by day one of the RCQ season. I. This this process of like just trying to figure out when the RCQs are and I you just like don't know is uh not fun. I think a lot of that I would have to talk to store owners to know for sure, but I do think a lot of that is part of the logistics nightmare of the whole Watsi doesn't really have a firm grasp on this and it's kind of up to the regional people to manage that. But yet mm-hmm. they're still sending the information to Watsi to be put on the website, right? Mm-hmm. So no matter how far out a tournament organizer can organize their local RCQ, they're still dependent on these things being passed along and up to Watsi. Mm-hmm. Like I know yeah. Atomic had scheduled their first RCQ for like mid-August and they had scheduled it in their books in like late June. And it did not, maybe early June, and it did not go into the Watsi website until like late July or mid-July. Yeah, well, that needs that needs to get fixed, too. Like we need a a central accessible place where it's actually easy to find your RCQs. I have been using Alan Swan's Google spreadsheet, which not everybody is fortunate enough to have an Alan Swan who puts all of the tournaments into one place for them. And it shouldn't be hard. It should be easy. You should be able to like accidentally stumble upon it. If you're on the, the Watsi website, looking at competitive magic stuff, you should just like, Oh shoot, I clicked over to this page and now I see the regional championship qualifiers near me in the next couple of weeks. Like it shouldn't take any effort. And yet it's like a, I like sigh to myself when I have to go to the event locator and try to find where a tournament coming up is. It's not good. It should be significantly easier to find events than it currently is. I do agree. Yeah. Other things. Yeah. As you said, Moto PTQs should go straight to the pro tour. And again, just like make the promos better and make them a significant and like advertised part of the prizing. And that creates hype and interest all on its own in in RCQs. I mean, well, I have one more thing that I would do. Yeah, go for it. So and this is kind of a weird take, but I would bring back GPs in some sort of capacity hmm. uh, because I think they're a really, really useful bridge tournament. Mm-hmm. They are not quite local, but not quite RC level. Uh, and I don't know if you want to go 
as ham as you did in like 2019 or early 2020 where there's like a gp every weekend in multiple continents and you just be like so oversaturated you just skip them mm-hmm. i think you just want you know a few or one yeah like one per region or something like that yeah and and just have it be this is the big tournament it's in denver colorado if you want to go that's mm-hmm. cool if you're local that's cool too but this is kind of the gp for mm-hmm. you know the, yeah the, this little seasonal part and if they don't do that many then maybe they could have coverage and those yeah yeah, really yeah. Nice. and those could be funded by watsi and just go straight to the pro tour uh mm-hmm. and it's also something you could play in even if you're already qualified for an rc because unfortunately one of the big pitfalls of the system that i do not like is that once you've won an rcq you can no longer play any other rcqs yeah i would change that as well for sure uh so collins just won the rcq this season uh, the first one and he can no longer play in any more magic tournaments so he's just gonna play flesh and blood tournaments now that's just what it's gonna be <laughs> and what a loss to like it sucks for collins like if he wants to play magic he can't really play in the competitive magic tournaments that are happening right now and just like you're like kicking your best players including you know fair number of players who are fun to play against who people like seeing at tournaments you know not not even just like oh my friend can't go to this tournament but like it's nice to show up to a tournament and see players that you know are good that you might recognize from former years on the star city uh, on the scg tour and stuff and you know win one tournament west yeah yeah and you win one tournament you know like mason wins an rcq and then nobody gets to see mason at any of their rcqs in that area anymore like just you know people that are nice and fun to hang out with and you might want to meet and now you're just not gonna yeah and i know there's a weird contention on this where people are like but if you've qualified you you know why would you take up qualifications by what if that person wins again you know pass down the qualification whatever uh yeah pass down the qualification is the easiest one you just you know skip over them if they win the tournament that's not the hard thing to do also usually those people just concede in the finals because they have no reason to like they'll just change the prize support such that second place gets whatever and then concede (laughs) like that's almost always how it goes effectively passing down the qualification yeah uh but even if the qualification can't be passed down i still think those people should play yes it's just just let it happen yeah don't stop your players from playing magic especially don't stop your good competitive players from playing in the competitive magic tournaments you're just going to drive them to other games it also creates this weird incentive where you're like your early tournaments are theoretically harder than your later tournaments mm-hmm. but it's a thing you shouldn't have to game like you should just go to a magic tournament and expect to be able to beat everyone you play against that's how you win a tournament yeah being able to like dodge it because the better players have systematically eliminated themselves from competition is not appealing <laughs> at least to me no i i don't love that either things that i would not do here is uh scrap the system entirely we do not need a reboot another reboot of organized play i think we just need to knock you know hammer out the dents in the system as it exists and i you know wish that i could feel like watsi is going to do that i don't have a ton of faith but 
even sticking with the system and making no changes to it is probably better than any sort of just like massive reorganization that would just confuse the issue again. So I, I hope that that doesn't happen and we don't get our like fifth iteration of organized play in X years. No, I don't, I don't think they will reboot it. I think this is what we've got until yeah. it fails, basically. Because this is literally the laziest wizards can make organized play. Because they, they just have, don't have to do any of it. They've essentially cast off all of their obligations onto the regional organizers. Yes. So any change to further reduce that would just be scrapping organized play altogether. And I don't think they're going to reboot it. Sure. So I, I do think yep. the system's good. Like I said, like the small locals into a larger regional yeah. into the Pro Tour. Great. Perfect. Ideal. Love it. Just hammer out the details where, you know, we don't have just a ton of like oligarchies deciding how competitive magic works. <laughs> right. Yep. Maybe I misused that word, but I thought it was funny. So, but, but somebody <laughs> who has the best interests of like the game and competitive play in mind, making some of those decisions rather than these little like fiefdoms of profit seeking individual corporations getting to make those decisions. Yeah, exactly. All right. Moving on to our third topic, which I uh, expect to spend about 30 seconds on. The M30 announcements, the collector's anniversary edition M30, where you can pay $1,000 for four booster packs of cards that aren't legal for tournament play. Uh, I don't recommend buying these. And I wish that they had like done something with this, created something that like was for me. It's not. I don't really know who it's for. They're probably going to sell out. I don't know. I don't want these, but if you do, more power to you. I'd recommend just like buying two tropical islands instead of buying one of these things. Sure, one tropical island even. But <laughs> well, how much is a revised tropical island? I have no is idea. It... <laughs> I heard tail in a, uh, an underground sea was eight hundred dollars, and I know there's a price difference between those two things, but you certainly cannot buy two underground seas with those. Yeah, uh, I I don't really want to go over the proxy thing. It's or the uh I, I call it the proxy thing it's more like the magic 30 thing the, the funnier thing is kind of what's just making proxy cards in general but whatever it is uh, very funny that the publisher of the game magic the gathering is making proxies for magic the gathering that is funny to me so i want to open up a different topic about the magic 30 which is that they are they're printing all these cards in just the original artwork and stuff like that mm -hmm. uh and they're in normal frame and in the retro frame mm -hmm. and what's interesting is the quentin hoover estate did not release permission to let watsy <laughs> reuse the artwork right Qu quentin hoover that. does not you know he's not alive anymore his family has the rights to his artwork and watsy does not i know watsy's previously tried to buy them out and they were not successful and they just went ahead and printed these cards anyway so it's curious to me what sort of legal thing that they've opened themselves <laughs> up into. <laughs> yep. Uh, interesting. I don't know how that's going to play out. That is the most interesting part about this product to me. Nothing about the price or like the proxies or whatever. Like I don't really care. But this this drama that is what I live for. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fantastic. I mean, the price is interesting. The, uh, well, just like slapping a $999 sticker price on these not tournament legal cards randomly 
sort of sort yeah, generated yeah it's like it's interesting that they would do that i'm not like mad about it i don't care really i feel like it's a missed opportunity because like if we're gonna and this is just a thing that we've been talking about this isn't a thing that wizards is actually going to do if we're gonna make gold foils you know an analog for it then like something like this would be like really cool for it oh yeah actually it would be and you know that's obviously not going to happen but that would be neat to be able to open up your rcq random promo prize and maybe it's like a tropical island or a, a volcanic or something like that but not not happening instead they're going to charge a thousand dollars for four booster packs of these things yeah oh well i i don't i don't really think that much about it i made my one joke about it today on twitter because uh, yeah. it was topical but i don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other no i'm not willing to like get mad about this or anything there's nothing to like be angry about i mostly just think it's very silly i agree with that i don't really have anything else to talk about today i think we i think i'm pretty happy with how this episode came out yeah i think it was fun you know just trying to imagine ourselves in a world where watsy cares a little bit more about organized play just a smidge would be good yeah just a smidge that's all I ask. And I'm hopeful if people, not necessarily on podcasts or whatever, but if people just keep talking about the issues that they're having with regional organizers mm-hmm. and things of that nature, I hope, I'm hope i hoping that Watsi will take that into account and look into making changes. Because yeah. it's not like the people at Watsi do not care about this. I know that they do. It's yeah, just that sure. there's a, this layer of corporatism and money that gets in the way. Yeah. And I mean, every season is a new opportunity to implement a different set of rules and change how things are run. So hopefully that happens at some point. Yeah, I hope so. Cool. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. That's it for us. Have a great week. Bye.